I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you think Bruce Arians will ever take over the play calling from Byron Lefwich? And will Leonard Fournette become the Bucks' starting running back? Will Ray's owner Stu Sturberg open up the wallet after winning the American League? And Kevin Cash wins Manager of the Year. We've got your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Bursnick. Hey, you know who's got the best party planners for your catering in Tampa Bay? Well, it's Mr. Empanada. What the heck is an empanada? Well, here's what you do. You take your favorite foods. You place them inside a pocket of homemade dough that is cooked perfectly until it's golden brown and piping hot. Their empanadas are a fresh twist on some old favorites. You can order delicious menu items from scratch, including soups, salads, and Cuban sandwiches online at MrEmpanada.com or call any one of their seven convenient locations in Tampa Bay. Where Latin food, quality, and service meet, it's Mr. Empanada. Hey, I hope all of you had a very happy Veterans Day, and uh, certainly we are indebted to you forever for your service. And um, it's a little belated, but... Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, we recognize all those. Well, we're recording this on Veterans Day, so that counts, that's right? right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's still Veterans Day. That's what we're celebrating. But when by the time they hear it, it might not yeah, be. That's oh, true. Except for those in Las Vegas who tune in, you know, as you know, around midnight. Yes. <laughs> for their workouts. But I'm uh, <laughs> happy to do that for you. Hi, Craig. Um, yeah, Craig, exactly. Vegas strong. But but the rest of you, uh, you may be waking up going, uh, what the heck? That was yesterday. Yeah, we're we're a little bit late, but not quite as we do this. Um, and we're all just hoping we get through the podcast because as we record, uh, there is a big storm brewing right outside my door (laughs) and it is, I'm telling you, man, the rain in this thing is massive. Of course, Hurricane Ida, Eda, is it Ida? I think it's Ada, isn't it? And that's a Greek letter. Yeah, that's right. Ada. Yeah, that's right. I should know my wife is Greek, but what, you know, she's got to teach me the alphabet. Yeah. So Hurricane Ada is, uh, is knocking and, um, there's just a lot of rain, a lot of flooding I saw mm-hmm. on the news. A lot of power outages is as far up here as um, in the Carrollwood. I'm a little north of that in Lutz. But, um, man, you know, here's the thing. If you were playing the 2020 bingo disaster game, okay, so we've already, like, called out things like the pandemic and, you know, murder hornets and, you know, you can now check off Hurricane because that's, that was the one – that was the one box I think we had left. Hey, we, we I, got, I, don't tempt fate. There's still a, what another month no. and a half left on this year, man. Don't oh tempt no, no, fate. there's a there's other letters for sure. <laughs> no, I just but mean somebody, other things that could happen. Not you well, know, that's what I mean. Hurricanes. It's, it's 2020 bingo, yeah. disaster bingo, right here, and hurricane <laughs> is up. So, yeah, man, I thank goodness um, this this thing isn't bigger. But have you seen the? Did you have you followed the path of this storm? <laughs> This thing came, as, as most of them do, somewhere streaking across the Caribbean. It looked like it was one of, like somebody on vacation. It stops in Cancun, you know, the Yucatan Peninsula, gets all hammered over there, chiefed up, and then over to Miami kind of area, maybe does a little uh, South Beach, I don't know, then back towards Marco Island, like up, up the coast, the west coast of Florida, and it's darting a little bit here north of Tampa. 
I mean, this thing, the track of, I've never seen a storm zigzag like this. Well, if you look at the, the pattern, it looks like the number two. Yes. On your map. Yeah. I mean, it did it backwards as far as writing it's it. Number but it's number two, all right. But it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it does. It does look like a two, backwards two. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how it went one direction and just, you know, basically did almost a 180 and went backwards. Yeah. It was like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, I think it's drunk. It's it's hammered. Obviously, you got. I mean, I've been to Cancun. I know what happens down there. It, um, yeah. And so it's it's weaving its way back across the state. And so there's this there's this dry air. I love meteorology, by the way. If I could, if I there are some certain things. If I could do it again, you know, like you have kind of an interest when you're growing up. Mm-hmm. This was one of them. Um, air travel was one. I, I love aviation. I think that's. I still don't know how that happens, but I'm fascinated by it. And and so. Um, you see the dry air. You can see all this dry air in the Gulf, and it's just shearing, you know, off one side of this storm, which is then bending it back across the state. Obviously, because hurricanes don't like dry air, and this is what I've heard. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating to watch the pattern of this thing. But it's got a lot of water, and there's a lot of people that uh, have some flooding, and I feel feel bad for them because there's some storm surge and. You got the salt water mixing with the um, the rainwater. You know, it's like Madden. You know, here you got you got the salt water, and then you you got the the rainwater, and then yeah, you get a hurricane. So it's just been. Um, here, here's the other thing I saw, and this is true. It was on Twitter, so it must be true. There's a picture of Jim Cantore. You know, you know, you never want Jim Cantore at your door, right? Yeah, no, that's bad. Get, news. Yeah, it's bad. Guess where he was? <laughs> he was on Davis Islands, and I know for all the world, he's going to end up. At Tom Brady's house or Jeter's house, more more pro. Isn't that Antonio Brown's house now? It is now. Yes, name name a star. I'll take a star <laughs> in Davis Islands for three hundred, Alex. Um, yeah, but it's uh, uh, Alex Trebek, the great late Alex Trebek. By the way, he died at eighty just a couple of years ago. I don't know why I segued into that, but um, yeah. So Jim Cantori's out there on Davis Island. So I'm, I'm anticipating that he's anticipating that. You know, this was when. When Irma came, which was a, a frightening thing, right? It was mm-hmm. Category 5, and it was headed right for Tampa. He was out because um, I bailed. <laughs> I got out of here. No, I did, I too. I went to Chicago. I was in Charlotte. I wasn't going to ride that one out <laughs> at all. Um, and I secured the house and uh, got on a plane, got out. And I'm watching, and he's at the um, – uh, he was like Harbor Island. He was like sitting out there, you know, at Jackson's or whatever. And I thought, oof. And that one can't. That one steered just a little bit east, maybe yeah, south, south, yeah, south, and then it came up south you know. and it went across up through the I four area or something. Yep, it came up the state, kind of you know, not up yeah. the spine, but yeah. but it hit south of here, and then so it ended up. Tampa was on the west side of the storm instead of the east side, which was mm. better. So yeah, that would it, boy, that was something. And then everybody, because everybody scattered. I remember the Bucks were going to play. They had a plan. Everybody scattered for them too. They they got they secured some place in Carolinas, I think, and a bunch of guys went everywhere. But um, their plan was if Tampa had been shut down, because with all the power and the you uh-huh. know emergency, they weren't going to be able to practice here or something. They were going to go to the University of Minnesota, and they were going to um, stay there. And they had a game. The first game would have been canceled with Miami. And yeah, it was. It was, yeah, it was moved back to like week nine or ten or yeah. whatever. So and they the next played sixteen game, straight games. Right. The next game was the Vikings game, I believe, and so they were gonna they were gonna stay, just practice for a week in Minnesota. So I went to Chicago. I was like, well, this is close. You know, I could just hop mm-hmm. over. Um, and then and then uh, then they said no. It was all clear. They were gonna come back and 
uh, because it just missed Tampa and everything was okay. And but trying those guys trying to get back. Remember the uh, the gas lines and, and everybody's out of gas and they're coming the traffic jams on seventy five and mm-hmm. I four and all that. It was really something. So yeah, we bailed out early for that storm. My wife, it was uh, Labor Day. It was that Monday? She had a minor surgery on that Tuesday. Mm. And my youngest son was in uh, VPK, or my oldest was in VPK at the time. So I'm talking to the the head of the VPK where we were at and said, you know, yeah, we're thinking of bailing, but, you know, I don't want him to miss school because attendance counts. And she's like, the, the county already told us they're closing Friday and Monday. She mm-hmm. goes, if you leave tomorrow, which was Wednesday after after school, which ended at noon, I think, she goes, you'll miss one day of school. Do it. Done. Yeah. I was like, okay. So I came home, told my, or my wife was still sleeping. So I told my mother-in-law, I said, pack up. We're leaving tomorrow at noon. And I, then my wife wakes up. I'm like, by the way, we're leaving tomorrow at noon. I'm evacuating. She said, what? <laughs> Good morning. So I pack up the house, board, you know, put the, the hurricane shutters up and yeah. um, get, you know, two kids, my mother-in-law, my wife who just had surgery and our cats and put them in the car and off we went to Charlotte. And my wife still gives me crap about that today because she, you know, she was no help and uncomfortable in the car, but. Oh God! But we got out of town early, which was nice because the traffic wasn't nearly as bad. Because most people didn't go till you know Friday towards the weekend. Yeah, yeah, we were able to get out on Wednesday. So, yeah, I think I went late that week too. I I was going to ride it out by myself. My my family was already in Chicago, and then I got to thinking about it. I was like, wait, if it hits here, and the Bucks play someplace else, I'm not going. There's going to be air travel. I can't mm-hmm. get out of the airport's going to be closed. Like, what am I going to? Yep. So I thought, you know, well, I'll just go up there and hang out. And then it, then it was a problem trying to get back because. Mm-hmm. The flights were all booked, and um, I got as close as Orlando. Found a flight to Orlando and then rented a car. Okay. And um, by the time I drove back, there was a lot of traffic, but um, I wasn't going down 75, which was really bad. Um, but but I have four. It was mostly power trucks. So they were all headed towards uh, you know, where it came ashore down there. Yep. Uh, Captiva or whatever it was. Um, not exactly sure, but down south of, of Tampa. Yep. If I recall, too, we were supposed to start this podcast that week. We were. And we pushed it back a couple <laughs> weeks because of uh, the, the storms and a lot of other things, too. But that was we a big part have of it. should have known national disasters were happening. That was a sign. <laughs> what were we thinking? Five years, six years later, whatever. Oh, my goodness. Um, but anyway, we hope you're staying safe, and we hope you had a good Veterans Day. Um, that's all the housekeeping we got. Okay, that's it, folks. <laughs> now, um, since we last spoke... Um, I think I mentioned that uh, me and Tom and you, we all talked about Kevin Cash. Mm-hmm. He did win Manager of the Year. Yes, he did. Congratulations to him. Well-deserving, obviously. It's like the third time I think he was a finalist or mm-hmm. something like that. And, um, you know, I must say, um, he'll never get the credit he deserves, even though I know everybody's, well, what do you mean? He's Manager of the Year. Well, I, I, yeah, okay. But even like I was reading, you know, columns in different, uh, like Boston, <laughs> for one, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> others, that uh, basically said, you know, great. He's he's the best reader of analytics in the major leagues. You know, like that's always going to be the thing. And it doesn't matter if it's Kevin Cash or somebody else. If you manage the Rays, you're never going to be given full credit on the same par as, you know, Aaron Boone, for example, who just has to fill out an all-star team lineup. Um, and, you know, because the Rays have the Rays way of doing things. But I actually think that, um, the, the, what he has to do to get players to buy in exactly is the biggest thing, right? It's one thing to say, yeah, we do use this as a tool. We use it very extensively where we have to do it because, you know, we don't have the payroll, 
we're a one through 40 man roster that's going to beat the one through nine man roster with the Yankees, whatever. But Kevin has to actually sell it to these guys and get them to believe it. And in doing so, you know, listening to his interviews, um, you know, he's so, you know, we talked the other day about somebody who was some self unaware. Kevin is incredibly self aware. And what I mean by that is he's authentic. He's completely Kevin Cash, good, bad, or indifferent. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't get a little hot sometimes because we've seen him do that. But basically, um, he approaches it uh, the same way, everybody the same way. He, he's a, a, just a great, um, you know, authentic guy that, that loves the game and that is self-deprecating enough about himself, has a sense of humor about it, has fun with it. And I can't believe, you know, of course, we've talked about the, you know, taking Snell out in, in game six and all of that. Um, and it, it's going to keep coming up for the rest of the time that he ever manages until, until he, or unless he were to win a World, World Series. But he handles that with such humor. Not any, and, and he talks about it freely and he knows, you know, he, he was funny on the, on the Zoom call I saw. He was talking about how, well, look, when you go home and your 13 and 14 year old daughter, the first thing they say is, Dad, why'd you take <laughs> Snell out? He goes, Everything else from there is pretty easy. <laughs> you know, try to explain to your family. Um, but just the best temperament about him. Very happy for him, obviously. And and uh, and he is indisputably one hell of a manager. I mean, they went 40 and 20. And I know this vote was taken before the playoffs. But then look who they did. Look what they did. Look what they beat. I think when we look back at this baseball team and the pieces that were on it, uh, and, the, and, and, and frankly, you know, Guys like Brandon Lau just, just you know, so many bats just went dead silent, right? And they they still managed to get where they where they were and to beat the Yankees and to beat the Astros. I mean, those are not small accomplishments. And um, so anyway, happy happy that he won it. Absolutely. And did you see? And just a quick note: Trevor Bauer wins the NL Cy Young Award mm-hmm. for the Reds. It's the first time the Reds have had a Cy Young Award winner. You said that I couldn't believe that because I mean, first of all, they're the oldest franchise I think in baseball, mm-hmm. just about right, yep. and and if not the oldest, and and I mean, all those World Series, the the big red machines. I mean, you you do remember the position players. I can't name that many pitchers from that era, um, but regardless, it just doesn't seem to like the, the Rays have had two. Mm-hmm. The Tampa Bay Rays have had David Price and Blake Snell, and they've been here twenty minutes, so. How is that possible? It shocked me when I heard that. I was like, I had to do a double take and read the story twice. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't. Th- I mean, you know, granted, you know, they've always been known for the offensive players from, you know, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and Joe Morgan and, you know, yeah. go go through the list. But then you go, they've never had a Cy Young Award winner. I mean, they've had pitchers like Jose Rijo and Tom Browning has pitched a perfect game, and and those right. are some of the more recent pitchers. Um, but yeah, it's their but when, first. When they were winning a hundred games back in the mm-hmm. day, yeah. you know, just yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, never had a Cy Young award. Just crazy. Well, good for the Reds. Good to see them wrap that up. We had some uh, some Buck news before we get to your questions. Real here, uh, Ali Marpet. Let me just say something. Ali Marpet should have made the Pro Bowl on the strength of him not playing. <laughs> I mean, you want to know how valuable a guy he is? Take him out of the lineup. Holy cow. Um, I knew he was their highest-rated lineman. I didn't know that he was the difference between you know winning and losing, but that's turned out what it was. He um, he didn't play obviously the other night, you know, in that critical game against the Saints and um, Joe Hagan, Donovan Smith took turns, you know, letting guys hit 
their quarterback, but um, he was in the concussion protocol. No one really remembered the play he got the concussion on, by the way, the week before the Giants, but wasn't able to play. Well, but he was back at practice um, on Wednesday. Now, doesn't mean he's out of the protocol, but he's he's advancing through it. One of the early things are you get to part, get some physical activity, you get to practice with the team. Um, if he doesn't wake up with headaches or something like that, and he'll continue to advance. And looks like he's going to be able to play at Carolina, which is a big, you know, because mm-hmm. um, that was not that was not a good effort. And they had gone a pretty good while without you know giving up a sack and uh, or many sacks this year. And then of course they took Brady down three times. I think they hit him nine times. It was not pretty. Um, so. Having our pet back will be big. And then the other thing, the other break they learned with respect to injuries is that Christian McCaffrey, who just came back against Kansas City, and yes, what a difference he made. They almost beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. They lost by a field goal, and McCaffrey was terrific. Um, he had like 94 total yards, I think, in the first half. Um, and uh, he, uh, he dinged up his shoulder, so it looks like he's not going to be able to play, which is uh, unfortunate for Carolina, but fortunate for for the Bucks, obviously although I will say this no one has held McCaffrey down the way the Bucks have these last two years I mean they he, they have stoned him remember that one game um Jameis played and, and the Bucks played up in Carolina they had the fourth and one mm-hmm. that was uh was last year I believe last year and they yeah, it was the second game of the season it was uh Thursday night I believe I think you're right and they they ran instead of running Newton which you would think they would do but he had mm-hmm. a Liz Frank injury uh, they ran McCaffrey, and um, he got knocked out at the sideline or something like that. But, yeah, uh, that might have been two years ago, actually. Was it two years ago? Remember. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I, it was, too. That was because I think Bernard Hargraves might have been the one that made the tackle. But, anyway. You're right. It was Hargraves. So, yeah, it would have been two yeah. years ago. But but they um, – I know last year in London he didn't get many yards. I mean, he, they just done a really good job on him. Uh, but, but, listen, he's he's a tremendous player. And, look, Carolina's playing hard, man. Matt, Matt Rule's going to be – he's a really good coach. They just haven't got their defense all together yet. They're, they're playing okay. They don't rush the passer well. I think they're last with Jacksonville in the league. They average about a sack a game, which is not good. And so, you know, presumably if Tom Brady can sit back there and pat the ball and you know find one of his 25 receivers, um, they'll do well. But it's um, it's going to help to have Marpet. It's going to help them not to have to have Christian McCaffrey going against them. So those are a couple of good breaks for the Bucks. Yes, it is. Well, we'll start with the questions then, and actually yep. you've halfway answered one of them. But Ellis okay. asked, has the absence of Vita Vea and most recently Ali Marpet shown just how valuable those two players are to this franchise? Yeah, well, let's just run back my first answer. But, yeah, I, I think it has because uh, in both cases, first of all, I think the Bucks' success this year, to be honest, I mean, you can say, well, it's, you know, it's Brady, everything. I told you every every question and answer is, is Brady. But – Beyond that, because one you know one guy cannot do it by himself, particularly the quarterback. The Bucks have won at the line of scrimmage all year long until this past week. They this is how they've won games. They have um, dominated. I think uh, whether it was running the ball with Ronald Jones, you know, he had the three hundred yard games. Leonard Fournette had a hundred yard game against Carolina. Defensively, I think their front seven is, is has had been playing as good as anybody particularly with Vita Vea, uh, up and through the Chicago game, up until, you know, I mean, these last two weeks, teams rushed for over 100 yards on them. But before that, it had been, you know, over a year, I think, or close to a year. They had the number one rush defense in the NFL. And Vea was a huge part of it and was becoming uh, 
a Pro Bowl player, an impact player, and he was doing it in the pass rush game as well as the run. And he's just a massively strong guy that you can't block with one person. He's lined up next to Ndamukong Sue, who for whatever reason has been getting a ton of one-on-ones. It's very interesting how teams are playing him. And he's been taking advantage of him. He's got four sacks. Um, so, yeah, it's. I think Vea is an enormous loss. Now, you know, can I find teams that have injuries? Yeah. That win the Super Bowl? Yeah. I mean, you have to have the next man up mentality. I mean, Raheem Nunez Roches is a good player. Uh, they went and got Steve McClendon, who, you know, is around about the same talent, I think, as Nunez Roches. So there's not a fall off from what is now your starter to your backup. But it's not Vita Vea. It's just not. And I don't know that he's the reason why a team they're getting a little leaky in their run defense because if you talk to Todd Bowles, they say, you know, guys are getting out of their gaps. They're maybe trying to do too much, do somebody else's job. But that usually happens when you're getting beat. You know, that usually happens when the guys up front aren't getting it done. You, you, you stop trusting what's going to happen in front of you and you start shooting gaps that aren't there that you probably shouldn't and, you know, losing your your integrity of the defense. And, and it just, you know, they've been hurt by it. And they were really hurt. And it, this is where I think the, the Saints game in particular because they did a really good job on Kamara. And now ask yourself why. Now, Kamara's stronger than most people think. But Kamara's game is, is speed, right? Running routes, getting on the edge, perimeter stuff. Um, and the Bucks can run. And for two games, they've corralled Alvin Kamara. Hurt him a few times in the past game, but for the most part, he hadn't done anything. So you know what they did? They ran power. They ran power with Taysom Hill. They pulled the guard. They had everybody going the same. And he got behind them, and Taysom Hill is, is look at him. He's put together, man. He's a big dude. And safeties and corners don't really like hitting him. And when they did, they went backwards. And I just think that if you'd had a Vita Vea and they tried to run inside like that, it would have been no contest. But because... They are a little nicked up, you know, in the defensive tackles position. I think they took mm-hmm. advantage of it. Well, in and New Orleans, they, New Orleans did exactly what the Giants did to the, the Bucks. Yes, yes. On Monday template. night. I mean, the Giants yes. showed you the, the blueprint of run yes. power. Yep, power all day. Yep. And, and there, is a, there is openings in that run defense, particularly without mm. Vea in there. Absolutely. They got leaky, and, and, and they're going to have to clean it up, and they're going to have to hold up, you know. And it's just, you know – it's, it's who has the best dudes and how you want to attack them. I mean, a year ago or a couple of years ago, teams would always tack them on the perimeter, you know, and they didn't think that, you know, when you had Hargraves, when you had, they didn't think those guys could tackle. They didn't do a very good job. Um, you know, you didn't have guys like, uh, you know, Shaq Barrett helping you. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've improved. They've improved on the edges quite a bit. But I think you're going to see more of it. I think you're going to see some power runs and power run attempts by Carolina. And if, like I said, if they had McCaffrey, this would be a, an even more interesting game. I still think it's going to be a close game. Carolina played really well against Kansas City. I don't, again, I don't know if they can do it two weeks in a row. Seems to me that um, you know Tom Brady bounces back better than any quarterback in the history of the game. Um, but, yeah, I would agree that, that and especially Ali Marpet, who we talked about, best offensive lineman. They've been together. They've only missed one game. Um, you know, the whole season start out first eight games, they had all five offensive linemen, which is rare. And I think they found out that, you know what, maybe Joe Haig or, you know, whoever they put back there instead, you know, nobody has six, seven, eight good offensive linemen. You're going to take a, you're going to take a little out of you. 
if you lose an Alley Marpet. And so especially on that side with Donovan Smith, who has struggled in, by himself, but to lose his, his wingman, um, that's particularly tough, especially in a game where you only attempt four rushing plays, which is unforgivable, but that's what happened. So, um, yeah, great question, and, and I, I think it does show how great they You don't know, you know, until, you, until they're gone, you don't miss them as much, right? Exactly. All right, we're going to combine a few questions here, so uh, yeah. give me a minute here. But mm-hmm. we have four questions pretty much on the same same point. Yeah. Craig in Vegas asks, with the Bucks being all in this season, when do the Glazers tell Bruce Arians that he needs to get more involved in play calling so they don't get embarrassed on national TV? Joe asked, will Arians ever take over the play calling? Cameron had asked, do you think Byron Leftwich is holding the offense back? And Les had followed up with, I'm sure Tom Brady has the freedom to change the play at the line. So how much of this awful play calling is on Leftwich, and how much of it is on Tom Brady? Because I can't believe the game plan against the Saints was to only run the ball four times. Yeah, they all are kind of in there. I'll try to, I'll try to weave through them a little bit here. Um, let me start with Bruce Arians and play calling. And I'll, I'll just say this. First of all, I've learned in this business never to say never, okay? Because <laughs> funny things happen when guys' jobs are on the line. All right. We're at a critical time in this season. I don't know if people, because on the one hand, everybody was like really, you know, I'm reading the, I'm reading my timeline after the the Bucks, And it, look, it it had to be embarrassing, right? You've waited um, all week for Sunday night as Carrie Underwood sings. Right? Well, in 12 years to host a Sunday night game. In 12 years. Yeah. Been waiting all evening for Sunday night, whatever. I can't sing. But uh, so, you know, you got Brady and you got, you know, you got uh, Drew Brees, and you got the rematch, and this is for first place, and they're going to home, and they're going to do it, and you got Al, and you got Chris Collinsworth sliding in, and you have that great music, da, 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 you know, get all that. So what happens? They lay an omelet, not an egg, an omelet. I mean, they they can't do anything. Four, three and outs? I've been doing this. I, you know how many bad teams I've covered on this mm-hmm. franchise. I mean, they haven't made a playoffs in 12 years. That I can't remember, really can't. Can't if it's happened, it, uh, it's too long ago. Can't remember a Buccaneer team starting the game with four three and outs. I can't. Re- and when you think you go, wait a minute, four three, you didn't get it first down. But not only did you not get it first down, Tom Brady's your quarterback. <laughs> like wait, wait a minute. I'm mean, sure Trent Dilfer must have done this before, but this is Tom Brady. This isn't you know. All due respect, Craig Erickson. I mean, what you know, this <laughs> well, isn't. We know James Tim Rattay. I mean, what do we? Yeah, we know James you know didn't I mean? do it because there would have been a pick six in there. But well, yeah, he the ball would have gone the other way. But I'm just saying, he changed the scoreboard. You got to give him that. But you know what I'm saying? Like all those quarterbacks, like I can't remember. Casey Weldon probably started a game. I don't remember four, four, three, four. You know, four, four now. Start. It just it didn't make any sense. And um, so, with respect to play calling. I had a conversation with Arians last year, I think it was. I was talking to him about when he took the job and why he took the job and sort of, you know, how, you know, he had quit and he came back. And, you know, one of the things he talked about was that, you know, he wasn't going to come back unless he could get all his coaches. And he meant all of them. It turns out he meant like 40 of them. But he wanted his guys, and, and his guys were available. Todd Bowles had been fired. And Byron had been in Carolina, um, who took he took over from Mike McCoy when he got fired. He, I think he called the last eight games as a coordinator in Arizona. He got him. 
you know, he just got he got everybody, Harold Harold Goodwin, all those guys. So he got his guys, right? Which was big important for Bruce. But then I said to him, I said, you know, here's the thing that I'm trying to figure out is that you know, they wanted Bruce Arians, the guy that was in Arizona and Indianapolis. I said, but you called plays. You know, you were the play caller. So I said, the Glazers had to have probably assumed at least or wanted you to come over because you have you had Winston. You, you know, they, they probably wanted you to run the offense, didn't they? Didn't they expect you would do that? And he was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a conversation. <laughs> Not a good one, but it was it was a conversation. He had to convince the Glazers that, that, you know, one of the prerequisites of him taking this job, he was not calling plays. He just wasn't. Now, what does that mean? It's his offense, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> so he's got a guy he trusts, really thinks is going to be a bright coach in Byron Leftwich. Just does. Just trusts him. Sees the game. Says he sees the game the way I see it. He played under him. Stood there with him and Ben all, that, all those years in Pittsburgh. So... And he's called plays. He did it in Arizona. So he trusts them. And more than that, you know, they have discussions about things. And, you know, I don't think it's 67 years old. And people don't see this because you, you just turn on the TV at, you know, 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock or 8 o'clock on Sunday. But those guys spend 100, 100 hours, more than 100. But, you know, they they practically live at the facility during the football season. You know, it's about six and a half, seven days a week. But at the end of the day, it's like somebody has to put together all those scripts. Somebody has to, you know, decide, you know, what are we going to run on second and three on the right hash, you know, against this front. Um, You know, and you do the situational, you know, these play sheets and these cards, and that takes time. And you're up late, like, you know, the coordinators can be doing this till midnight and then back at it again at five in the morning. It's not an easy thing. And, you know, Tuesdays is kind of a game planning day to resent it to the quarterback and everything. So I don't, Bruce was never interested in getting into that again. And, and, you know, remember this is a guy with health problems. This is a guy, you know, that, that left football for a reason. And so he knew his limitations and he, and he, more than that, he had confidence in Byron. So he decided, I'm not calling it. He told the Glazers, and they still hired him, and they bought his plan. Now, that's a long way of saying, hell no, he's not taking over the play calling. Um, he's on the mic. I mean, he can call any play he wants to now. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's he, when you say take over the play calling, it's kind of like you have a menu, and you have, you've already gone through the tapes, and you've already decided what your game plan is and, and what you're going to attack in this front and that defense and that coverage. And when you have this personnel, you know, if it's three tight ends, four wide, whatever. So you already have a game plan. So really it's just deciding, you know, sort of, I don't know. It's like a menu. Like, wh- what do you want off the menu this time? You know, it's all good. Here, we're going to run this on the. So now this, and that gets us to Brady, right? Tom Brady every week, in my opinion, is taking more control of this offense. And it just makes sense, right? Because in the beginning, they had to teach him everything. They had to teach him the terminology. Now, he can run any... Tom Brady would be successful in any offense, first and foremost. But he still had to, to put some brain power on top of all the physical conditioning he does. And I just think that, you know, he's done all this, and he's like, do you like this? Do you don't like this? 
they want him to run Bruce's offense. They want him to look down the field more. They want him to go deep to shallow, and, and maybe he went shallow to deep. But it, at the end of the day, the ball's in his hand. He has to feel comfortable. It's kind of like a pitcher in some ways. You know, like the, the, I always thought the catcher suggests what you should throw. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you got the ball. Okay? So you, you can shake him off, and maybe he gets mad behind home plate. But if you don't feel confident in what he's, the fingers he's putting down, you better not try to throw that pitch because it's just not going to go where you want it to. You should throw the pitch that you feel more confidence in in that situation. Um, I, I just think that's where we're at with Brady. I just think that Brady, you know, he's got the ball. He, he'll he make changes. He'll make checks. And, and he, he does make checks to the line of scrimmage. And he can get to more than one play. Um, and sometimes he's too quick to, to, like, predetermine where the ball should go. But he's seen so much. You know, like the other day, there's a play. And everybody, Daniel Jeremiah of, of NFL Network highlighted this. I wrote about this in the in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com. Go read it. Um, and it... Um, you know, it was it was in the second quarter, I think, and they were playing, I want to say, cover three, and there was going to be a single safety who was going to rotate to the top mm-hmm. middle of the field. And Brady took the snap, and he had trips left, and he had single receiver. He had Miller on the right, and the corner was dropping back. No safety help on that side. And Brady predetermined, he pretty much knew, I've got seven, eight, ten yards over here. It's just a it's just a stick route, and there's lots of room. That's where the ball's going, and so he took his drop. Turns out the Kappa was getting beat on the pass rush a little bit. It was a little leaky on that side, the right side. Brady could see it though, and he turned his hips. And when he turned his hips, that 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 deep safety, that safety that's supposed to be in the middle of the field, he immediately started running towards the sideline. Like he he vacated it. You know, he came downhill. Well, Mike Evans runs by him and is wide ass open. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's around him. I literally could have thrown a touchdown pass in that situation. But Tom had already committed to throwing the, the ball to the sideline, which is why the safety kind of read that and broke anyway. So he'd have had to stop, then look downfield, you know, and, and if he saw him, he could have thrown a touchdown, and he probably might have gotten hit when he threw it. But you can't, like, who's that on, right? It's like, there's Mike Evans. He's wide open. And they didn't target Evans until the last two minutes of the first half. They were down 28 nothing, which is which is which should never happen. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you have to design a bubble screen, whatever it is. But, you know, that's, that's sort of what, and that's what I mean by, like, Brady is going to do Brady things, you know? He, he's going he's gonna to do Brady things because he's done it for 21 years. And that means, and he'll tell you, one thing about Tommy is he'll tell you exactly how he sees the game. You know, I'm going to throw the ball to the open guy. And there have been games where Gronk didn't see a pass. And there's been games where Mike saw one, you know, or two. And there's been games where Mike had 12 targets and had over 100 yards. And so it just depends. You know, Tom is going to stick with his progressions. And he's going to throw the ball to who he thinks is open. Here's my question. And I was at the game Sunday night. And I thought the play calling was atrocious. But... Right. How much of the Bucks plays are scripted to start the game? Well, you would think 12 to 15 plays. I mean, they don't always come off that way because, again, you know, you're into – like the first play they decided to take a shot. Now, there's probably mm-hmm. a shot in a lot of different pass plays. But they they ran a shot play, yep. and Tristan Wirfs got, got 
shoved into the quarterback and they actually mm-hmm. hit his arm as he threw the ball. And so you give up a pressure there. Now it's second down. Yep. Well, so it's second and 10. You know, do you have many second and 10 plays? Well, they call it a running play. And well, but, but when you call a shot play on the first play, you have to, you have that to assume that there's a decent you chance the, you're going to have a you, second and 10. Right. But you got to get the look. In other right. words, I don't know when they went out right. there. You know, okay, so if they go out with three wide receivers, they got to anticipate that the Saints are going to be a nickel. Or if they go out in two mm-hmm. tight ends and two wide receivers, that right. they're going to be in a base. So so they're trying to determine the pe- personnel based on what they have on the field. Mm-hmm. And so they put their guys on the field, and, and, and I don't remember who it was. I'd have to go back and look to see if they had four receivers or not. But based on, based on what they were trying to, to dictate, um, <clears throat> maybe the shot was there, maybe it wasn't, but – he took it, and you know he got pressure, and so so now you go. Well, did they script a second down run? Well, not unless they were in second and ten. Did they have you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if they hit the shot play, are they running the ball on first down in the next play? I, right. I don't think it goes. It's kind of a down and distance okay. thing. But yes, you have ten to twelve to fifteen plays that you script that you really like that you want it. You want to sort of influence <clears throat> their personnel, and you're trying to put them at a disadvantage. For example, if if they're better in base with the third linebacker than they are with their fifth defensive back, then you want them. You want that fifth defensive back on the field. Mm-hmm. You just do. You want to run three wides or four wides so that they have to play nickel. Well, and the because, reason, yeah, you know, I agree. And and the reason I asked about how much do they script is it's hard when after twelve plays you're down twenty one nothing, and after fourteen plays you're down twenty eight nothing. Yeah, that script's gone. <laughs> I mean, well, but but even everything, you know, part of the script early, too, is setting up things for later in the game. And no We're doubt. going to give you this look and do this, no so doubt. that later in the game we give you this look and do something completely different. What you're different. saying is they didn't have enough plays. But you, when you, you don't make a first down, you don't get enough and, plays. And I realize everyone criticizes how many times they ran the ball. Yeah. And, and, and you, you know, you absolutely do want more than four runs to take out no the question. kneel down. But when you're down 28 nothing after 14 plays – that's it's, what Bruce it's, said. It, I mean, it's you know, what do you you start running? Running for what are you yeah. running for? I mean, yeah. you know, you're eating clock. You're doing this now, but you know, my problem with the play calling was, and you know, maybe you didn't realize this till you're down twenty one nothing because you didn't run enough plays. But <laughs> everything was seven step drops and fifteen yards down the field when you couldn't block anybody. Yeah, it's there was no adjustments to shorten up your play call. I mean, you know, that's great. I realize, you know, Bruce Arians' offense wants to get the ball down the field, but if your left guard and left tackle can't block anybody, right? then you can't run 15-yard routes. You don't have enough yeah. time to get the ball there. Right. And, you know, that was my problem with the play calling, but it also happened so quickly. I mean, you you know, play calling, you know, people talk about there's a rhythm to it and, and getting your players in rhythm in that, and when you go three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, two, two plays and interception – I mean, I don't care who the play caller is. It's never – you're not going to find a rhythm when that happens. I mean, you know, they they missed the shot play. Uh, Brady overthrew Gronk on a play that he was open. That would have been a first down. I mean, there was a lot of th- – and then, you know, Tom Brady's on his butt a lot of the time too. So, uh, you know, the play calling was bad. I think what you just said was the biggest thing. He got hit. Mm-hmm. Listen, Tom Brady – no quarterback likes to get hit. No. Those older guys particularly don't like to get hit. And if there's one thing you can see on tape with Tom Brady as he's gotten through later in his career, if he sees somebody win off the line of scrimmage, 
he's throwing that ball away if he can. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he just doesn't he's not going to stand in there because he knows, you know, I need to play sixteen games for my team. What good is it going to do me coming to Tampa, right, and mm-hmm. and going through all this at forty three? Yep. If I can't make it through 16 games no. and the postseason. And he also knows a possession in the first quarter isn't Doesn't that mean important. Anything. I mean, That's Brandon, right. you hope your defense can stop somebody and not give up, you know, Absolutely. four touchdowns maybe, in the first five drives. But Right. Maybe, maybe you know, if you hadn't left them out there to dry and they had yeah. half, half the field to carry. But, yeah, we saw that, I mean, against Green Bay, for example. And here's the thing I wrote about in the Tampa Bay Times today, if you want to read it on TampaBay.com, is that the slow starts are killing them right now. Mm-hmm. Like, the beginning of the season – they were even what, the first series of the season. Remember Tom Brady went 85 yards and spiked the ball in the end zone. They're up seven, nothing. Now it didn't go so well after that, but every game. Okay. Up and through until they got to like even Chicago, I think. But after that, you know, they got off to some slow start. I mean, they trailed green Bay 10, mm-hmm. nothing. It was like, Oh my God, this is going to be a blowout. And they what happened? The Raiders, they, they were trailing out there. They trailed the Raiders. They, they, they trailed the giants, you know, I mean, they were up three, nothing, but then all of a sudden, you know, the giants score a couple three, two, three times and they're down, you know, they're down big. And I mean, they have started so slow and it's just been, you know, three and outs, lack of execution, interception here or there. Um, for the most part until this past game, Tom had been really good with the ball but they're not starting fast. Well, but and, and I think, and, and you know, as you mentioned that, and you start thinking about it, and, and thinking back to the game Sunday night, there was no easy plays in those first twelve plays. No, there no. was no screen pass or you know right. a hit or you know a quick slant or you know there was no easy plays to get a rhythm to get to get your team going. It was shots down yeah. the field, and if you hit them, great. But they're low percentage plays. But you're also putting stress on your offensive line, and you had an offensive mm-hmm. line that hadn't played together. Yeah, See, well, this, that too. This, that doesn't marry up very well. Like, you, you know, you hear this stuff about, well, what if, you know, I'm our pet. Next man up, I got confidence in everybody. Next man up, Joe Hague will do a good job. He'll, he's a veteran. But, but it, was pretty, it was pretty obvious pretty quickly that that wasn't working very well. No, it didn't hold up. But there was no like, change. Did, there was no change in the play call. No change to, to try to account for that. And, and that's where running the ball. See, and I, I understand, like, when you get down and it's 7 nothing, and then it's 14. But listen. They were down 17 points to the Los Angeles Chargers. I don't remember them running it four times. You know, like, mm-hmm. you've been behind. You were down 10 to the Green Bay Packers. And, yeah, granted, you got a, a pick six and another interception down to the two-yard line. But, I mean, you've been behind teams before. And if it's two scores or even three, just to function, like, you can't ask these guys to pass protect every, almost literally every play. The second play of the game is run play. They had exactly three more for the rest of the game. It's an NFL record. Like, you you can't ever come out of the game and go, yeah, we ran it three times. We ran it four times. Like, I'm sorry. That's just not, that's not, it's not feasible. Yeah, you might not get a lot of yards, and yeah, you might eat up the clock, but you got to give those guys a break once in a while. You got to let them come off the ball. And Well, it, and not, you know, it also lets your offensive linemen tee off on a D lineman instead exactly. of instead of going back and instead pass protection, catchers, which they weren't yeah. working. Right. You're you're taking it in the face. You'd rather come off the ball and knock someone back. And and when they've run the football and they've run it well, it's helped their pass protection because they can be a little more aggressive. You know, it looks like a run, it feels like a run, it's play action. And 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 you know, teams are so geared up coming downhill for the for the running play that then they, you know, catch those linebackers coming downhill and then they have to stop and go back and then you got big zones wide open all over the place that's where tom has really thrived but they didn't help their offensive line and 
I thought it was a poor game plan. They executed it even worse. You know, um, it just none of it fit together, and it should have. And I, the other part, and I don't have any. Someone might ask this question about this: is that I still think when you introduce a guy like Antonio Brown, it's one more ingredient to what you were already cooking a pretty good meal. Well, yeah, it may have been. Hey, I mean, it was early in the game. I don't think it was the first drive. I think it was the second drive, and uh, we were sitting at the the north near the north end zone. So and it was that's the Bucks were had their backs faced to that at that point. So they were close to us, and lined up across the way was it was on one side it was Evans, Godwin, and Brown, with mm-hmm. Gronk on the opposite side. Yep, and you're going wow. Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl, six okay. Pro Bowls, yeah. maybe several Hall of Famers, at least. You yeah. know, I mean, you're Brown and Gronk, Brown and Gronk, and, and Evans, maybe Evans, you know, yeah. possibly, and Godwin's too young to and know, the, but the cord, you know. but quarterback, so yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, but, it's, but all, I mean, it's a Hall of Fame team. Saw the the four receivers, you know, and, and right. Gronk was tight end, but you saw them. It was mm-hmm. like just sitting there watching. Like, it was like, wow, that's yeah. a lot of talent. And yet they whipped their butts. <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> destroyed them. It was like, here you go. How's this taste? Um, but maybe it, maybe it was designed to throw the ball more, trying to use those weapons, but also keep those weapons happy. Right. That's hard to do. It is. It's hard to do. Because receivers want the ball. I mean, this thing about it is like everybody goes, well, there's a diva. This guy's a diva. He's a receiver. He's a diva. They can't throw themselves over the ball. I mean, they just can't. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, they, they need somebody. They need the guys to block. They need the quarterback to see them. They need the, the coach to call the play. Um, you know, and there is an onus on trying to get everybody involved and everybody happy, but Tom's at the point too. And I think the players realize this, like you can go back and say, I was open. You can do all you want. Tom's going to throw the ball where he thinks it should go. And he don't care who it is. Mm -hmm. You trust the guys that are out there. And if he doesn't trust you, you're not out there. And if he doesn't trust you and you're out there, then you're never getting the ball. He's he'll tell you that Mm -hmm. I'm not throwing. You can put him out there if you want. I'm not throwing him the ball. He's literally said that. So the guys I know he trusts that are out there. And he's going to throw whoever he thinks is the most open, period. Period. That's it. Um, and so I think the players realize that. And they better just shut up and take it because no one's happy right now. But I do think, you know, that they need to do a little bit more to try to get Evans. The thing about number one receivers is I think you have responsibility to use mm-hmm. them because they're your most talented guy. And then get them involved early. Well, that, was, that was the next question you know, we had was from Kunal who yeah. said – Will he will Leftwich draw up more plays for Evans? It seems like you're trying to spread the ball around, maybe overthinking it. Evans is your number one guy. Why not give him more targets? I totally agree. Now, in within that, you know, you can't force it. I mean, literally, they can they can double him every play, and they do. But you know what? Jerry Rice would doubled his whole career. He still was Jerry Rice. I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta find ways to beat double teams and. You know, you can, but you can do things too. You know, you you can put them in the slot. You can run stack formations. You can run pick plays. You can. The thing about Mike is, if you watch him, and he's been great. I mean, beyond great, right? I mean, six one thousand yard seasons, all that. But a lot of his plays through his career with Jameis, which is the only quarterback he really played with, other than the first year, and he played with you know some other dudes, um, McCown, and you know whatnot. But basically, you know, Mike would run his route and Jameis might extend the play and then Mike would run it, run a little, extend his route. And, and before you know it, he'd get all these opportunity balls, you know, 
and he just went up and made plays. Like he just outleaped, he just mossed guys, right? It wasn't necessarily a nice, beautiful timing route or an over route or he's running a post and the ball's waiting. He just, he would just, you know, stay alive. And so many of his receiving yards came that way. I mean, big chunks. And now, you know, that's not how he's, it's not how it's going to work. But Brady's not extending plays. No, he's not extending plays, and the ball's coming out in 2.4 seconds or 3 seconds, and it's going to go to the guy who he thinks has the best matchup who is open. And so you're not seeing these ridiculous, you know, 50-yard heave it up and like, let Mike go get it plays. And that, that's going to take away from some of, his, some of what he does. He's a, he's a, and, and Mike, you know, Mike's a, Mike is a down-the-field guy. Like, you know, you can run an occasional slant and deep outs and things like that. But at the end of the day, like, it takes him a little while to get going. He's not one of these little quick twitch receivers like Antonio Brown. You know, Antonio Brown can just step back, step sideways, run the backfield. You know, like, he's got all this quickness and explosiveness just from 0 to 60, whereas Mike's a little bit of a strider, takes him a while to get going, but he's fast and he's big, um, but he's a down-the-field guy. And so I think that's all of that is one of the reasons, you know, that and the fact that they're, they're a better team now. I mean... You've got Godwin. You've got Scotty Miller has has burst onto the scene. And yet, having said all that, Mike Evans has had the most targets, the most catches, the most yards, and the most touchdowns on this team right now. So it's hard to say he's not getting the ball. Good point. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, Ren asked, and we'll switch sides of the ball. Says the Bucks play a three-four base, but in nickel they switch to a two-four, so Bowles can keep linebackers Levante David and Devin White on the field. Is it time to sit Devin White and nickel, or perhaps rotate sitting uh, Levante and Devin until Devin can get a better grasp in coverage? He says because Get Live is really struggling. Well, I mean, if you're gonna, first of all, I would never take either of those guys off the field. <laughs> Sorry, there's no way they're just too good, and and so I understand. But that is Devin's weak spot. He's still not great in coverage. He's not the best guy in coverage. Yeah. I will grant you that, and I don't, I don't think it's because he can't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that he's good at it yet. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. I, by saying not, he's struggling but, or not good. Not but I would never yet. take. I would never take him off the field because here's what he is. He's an eraser. And what I mean by that is if somebody else screws up, if you know, if you have one of these plays that they hit because some guy's out of position and it's going, right? Like this play could go. Devin White comes out of ether and, and runs the guy down and, and stops him from going in the end zone. He's such he, he makes up for so many mistakes out there that we don't even know, you know, whether that was his guy or not his guy, and a lot of times it wasn't. Um, but yes, I think he can get better. If I were playing the Bucks, I would take my running back. I would figure out, is he covering the tight end? Is he covering the running back? What is Devin White's pass responsibility on this play? And I would make him go and cover that guy. Whether I throw the ball to him or not, I want to get him out of the middle of the field. You know, I want him in coverage. 
I'm better off, you know. And one of the things that teams have done, interestingly enough, you know, Todd Bowles is really good at bringing blitzes, right? Yes, he is. And and so what's the best way to do that when you're playing nickel, when you have the extra defensive backs, when you have that hybrid, you know, when Mike Edwards comes in the game and you can bring Winfield down if you want to, or you can drop Winfield, right, or you can bring Jordan down. You got all these DBs, right? And, and they're kind of interchangeable. That that makes it difficult. Or you can you know play zone dog and drop Shaq Barrett or JPP. You can double A gap blitz all that stuff. So what teams have done? They just said you know what? We're not going to let them go to nickel. We're going to go ahead and we're going to keep them in base. We're going to like two tight ends, three tight ends. That way they kind of eliminate some of that you know exotic looks that Todd Bowles will give you. So. I just think that it's hard. He's got to get better. Let's just face it. He's got to get better at covering running backs. Mm-hmm. He just does, and tight ends. He's just got to get better in coverage. If I were playing them, I'd, I'd try to figure out who he's covering and make him isolate on him and get him out of the middle of the field. That's what I would do. All right, Tommy asks, do you see Leonard Fournette taking over the Bucks' starting role since he can catch passes better than Ronald Jones? I think it's there. I think it's there if he wants to do it. Um, they seem pretty happy with Ronald Jones and starting him in the games. But if Leonard Fournette is going to be what he is, which is a three-down back, I think you're going to need him more. I just think that Tom wants that. Tom trusts that. If we know one thing about Ronald Jones and he's proven through nine games, he's not a receiver. I don't care. You know, He may end up with 50 catches. I don't know. He is not a good receiver. He's not a good route runner. His hands are suspect. I mean, he struggles. You know, first and ten, you throw him an, a, a pass. Aren't tell me the truth? Aren't you just like when they throw to Ronald Jones? Are you like, man, eh, wonder if he catches it or not? I mean, mm-hmm. you're almost surprised when he does. And then when he does, it seems like he never gets any yards. You know, it seems like there's a guy right there because he's so focused on the catch. Um, I don't know what it is, but like he's not hard to cover because. He's rarely open by a lot, and he doesn't do much with the ball, you know, when he gets it in the receiving game. I mean, LaShawn McCoy is an afterthought because they made Fournette their every, you know, their three-down guy. So, like I said, Fournette against Carolina, he had that 100-yard game. Then, of course, he got hurt. Now he's working himself back into shape. I think I don't think they're going to go away from Ronald Jones totally, but but there's an opportunity if Leonard Fournette wants to do that. You know, he's just got to stay productive and stay healthy and stay on the field. And if they stay on schedule, you know, ideally what they want to do is they want to start Rojo, they want to get a lead, and they want to they want him they want Leonard to be their Mario and Rivera and close it. You know, just give the big boy the ball in the fourth quarter, run the clock, and stay away. Doesn't work That's when you're down thirty eight to three. Does not work. <laughs> and you know what else? It may avoid to avoid being down thirty eight to three. You may need to play him right away. This is the other thing. You know what I mean? So that when you do throw it on the first series, and you, instead of going three and out, maybe he makes a first down. What was the biggest play in the Raiders game? Remember what the biggest play was? Third and third. That game's a 24 20 yeah. game. Yeah. They're third and 13. Third and 13. That's, that's a draw play. You know what I mean? Like that's a give up down, right? That's a check down. Well, they did. They ran a check down. That dude caught that ball. Safeties were split in cover two, beat the linebacker, and went north-south faster than you can imagine and got 13 yards. 
And, you know, you're not getting that from Ronald Jones. I don't think. So the opportunity is there for him to take it. All right, we'll switch to baseball now. And Brantley asks, does Stu Sternberg open the wallet just a bit more this year following the World Series loss and try to save baseball in Florida or more of the same spending? Well, first of all, the product is already pretty damn good, and that's not – so it's not a question of does he have to make the product better to save baseball. It's what is he, what do fans need to go see them? I mean, we had a pandemic, so we can't really well, say, say what would – are you going to have fans in the stands this year? I mean, we don't yeah, know don't, that answer We right don't now. know, and so – you know, the motivation won't be that necessarily. I think if anything, in a weird way, this confirmed to them that they don't need to spend more money, that they can find these guys. I mean, how many G-Man Choi's have they found through the years? You know, how many Mike Brasso's? Um, think about some of their playoff heroes this past year. You know, they're, they're best, a Raza, Yeah, hello. Hello. I mean, Herm Edwards, you just went and got the best player in baseball, the best hitter in baseball, and he did it in the World Series in the postseason. The dude, his name is on top of Jeter, you know? It's on top of Evan Longoria. I mean, what he did was incredible. So there's so much faith in the scouting and the development and all that of players. I don't see any way that you go, hey, you know what we really need? <laughs> we need – we need – uh we need a bopper. Well, we but, a, but we, I, I we think need a twenty-five million dollar bat. No, I don't think you need that. But there are times you've got to say, "Hey, we're going to pay Charlie Morton fifteen million a year." Well, but see, this is the thing. Then why aren't they? Well, but, see, but they, think, they did for the last two seasons. You know, the last two. But I mean, okay, so don't they've said they want Charlie Morton back? Mm-hmm. They don't want him back at fifteen million. Why? Well, that's true. They don't. Although I think some, and you're seeing this throughout baseball, is, is free agency has been very slow is owners don't know what next season's going to look like yet. I mean, there's yeah, a schedule fans, in that. We have but, no fans, but right. how much revenue we've got coming in from parking, concessions, tickets, we don't know yet. Yeah, We're hopeful. Yeah. You know, so are you willing to commit 15 mil when you may not have any of that? And and yeah, sure there's the joke of the Tampa that they don't have any attendance, so it shouldn't matter, but but that is that is revenue that they have coming in. All you know, all those fans, those parking, the concessions, all that stuff is that there next year? So, is he, is he worth fifteen million? If you don't have that, you know he may a, not be worth fifteen million. Period. I mean, that might well, just be a good baseball decision at this sure. age. I don't, I don't really know. But it, I'm just saying, at the end of the day, stadium, no stadium fans, no fans. I don't. What the Rays do works. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're ever like if you're going to sign somebody, and you know, I mean, game six notwithstanding. But if you're going to sign somebody, it'll be. You know, let's not let Blake Snell walk out of here and go pitch for the Yankees for twenty five, thirty million a year. Well, and and look, they do have Blake Snell locked up for several more seasons. They've they got, do. They've got Brendan Lyle locked up for more seasons. They do. You know, what I mean, I'm saying they like, have invested that, in some players. It's not like they don't invest in anybody. No, Kevin Kiermaier. Kevin Kiermaier has been getting paid for the last several seasons and, and has a he couple has. more years on his deal. He has. I just don't see him going and, and going. You know, oh, we're going for it now because they've been going for it every year. They just do it their way. Mm-hmm. You know, well, look, they're never going to be able to go sign Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, no, you know, no. Mookie Betts, 12 years, you know, $400 million no. deal. That's never going to be the raise. Nor were they able to retain guys. If Randy Rosarina ends up doing what he did for the next three years and somehow becomes a free agent, whenever that is, 
Good luck. Well, he's got six <laughs> yeah. years of team control. I mean, you've got well, he, he'll okay. still Maybe be a rookie. A ex- yeah, yeah he'll still example, be a rookie but... this coming season, I believe. Yeah. So right. he's got three years of rookie, and then three years of arbitration. But let's say he didn't, and it, yeah. and that's sure. good. God bless him because that's the way the Rays roll. Mm-hmm. But let's say let's say he was a free agent in two years. Where I mean, is, now there's a guy. Now, but are they going to spend twenty five, thirty million dollars on? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, they may just go give us a thousand prospects and trade them a year early. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and re, rebuild yeah. their entire farm system. But we also know there's a lot of prospects, you know, in the next couple of years getting ready to come up too, from Wander Franco, from the de- to yeah. Ronaldo Hernandez at catcher to, you mm-hmm. know, I mean they have they have lots of pitching in, in depth, which is why they could trade a Matthew Libertor to get Randy Arozarena. Um, right. and they liked Matthew Libertor, but they really liked Arozarena and, and what he could add to this team. Yeah. So I just don't see Stu opening. The question is, is he going to open his wallet? And the answer is no. Yeah, I, I don't. You know, unless the revenues go up significantly, yeah, I don't. I think I think the Rays pretty much set the budget based on where the revenues are. And, you know, Stu yeah. Stu says they don't really make a lot of money every year. But we're gonna make some. We, we don't know in baseball because nobody opens their books. But right, you know, I, I you know most sports teams as a whole, NFL is different because of their contracts are so huge, but. Most sports teams, in general, don't make a ton of money year after year. When you win, a lot of times that helps, and there's, there's, you know, you'll have ebbs and flows to it. But for the most part, it, the value is the franchise. It's the franchise value. It's the value. It's not. It's not actually right. what, how much money you pull out of it every year. The NFL can That's be the right. exception to that. But it's and, like your home. It's like your house. You and, and there mean, are, I think the Yankees probably pull out a lot of money every year, but that's the Yankees oh, yeah. in New York. But yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the spending will basically depend on where they think the revenues are going to be. And I think that's how they'll determine what they have to spend. And Carl Carl asked, and, and this goes on the Rays as well, the Rays are usually busy in the offseason. What positions are we deeper so that we can upgrade when we bring up Franco, Wander Franco and others? And are there Rays that are untouchables? Need a trade for catching? He also asked, will roster stay at 28 with COVID? Got to have minor leagues play this spring and summer. I don't know about the rosters or the minor leagues. COVID will determine that, obviously. Um, as far as position goes, seems to me like they got a hell of a lot of outfielders. They got a lot of infielders too. And now, well, and at least some of those guys can also play the outfield. Yeah, well. everybody, everybody can play everywhere, as it turns out. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting. Like, what happens is, is this Warner Franco's year? And if if so, where's William Thomas? Does he go to second? And if so, where's Joey Wendell? Does he go to third? And if so. Where's Brendan what about Lau go? Yanni Diaz and Brendan Lau and yeah. yeah, so there's a there's going to be a, d- a domino effect, don't you think? Yeah, well, I th- I think a lot of that will work itself out. I think Wander Franco is going to start in double or triple A. Um, he hasn't played in in live action essentially in you know a year and a half by the time the season starts. So I I don't see him starting at the big league level. I see him getting time with the Rays later in the season. Most likely that happens because of injury. So. If it's a Willie Adamas that's out, he may slide in there. If it's Brendan Lau or Joey Wendell or whoever, you know that's where you kind of figure out where they're going to slide in. And this is assuming all these guys are on the team going in. Um, you know that's the other part. Carl asks, are there are any Rays untouchable? Um, I would yes. think Randy Arozarena is untouchable at this point. Yep. I would think Wander Franco's untouchable. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many others I would say are. Hmm. Maybe Glass now at this point. Although I don't think he's untouchable, right? It depends on what you get for him, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but. I mean, yeah. I mean, it all depends on the haul. But I, I don't, I don't think the Rays view 
players is untouchable. Now, you know, could I, you know, maybe Wander Franco is touchable too, but I can't see a team ever coming up with a deal that the Rays would go, okay, yes. Um, you know, I mean, I suppose you could, you know, offer, you know, offer the whole Yankees lineup for Wander Franco. Would you say yes on that? Yes. Right. I mean, there was a time, you know, when, when Evan Longoria was coming off rookie mm-hmm. of the year type stuff, like he was probably untouchable. He was under their control too. This is the other thing. You're not mm-hmm. going to trade a guy that you're under control with for, for years and years. You know, unless not, you're just not likely, unless you get well. You know, they traded Matthew Libertor, who was a pitcher they liked, who was right. a high prospect. And granted, he hadn't been to the big leagues. He hadn't been yet, the big so. leagues though. Yeah. But they traded him to get Randy Rosarine. I mean, you have to trade something yeah. to get something. Sure. Um, you know, but is there any untouchables on this race? Like I said, I I, I couldn't Probably see them not. trading Wander Franco or Randy Rosarine at this point. And a lot of but that like, is the talent yeah. level plus how much control they have. Right. Uh, how many years under you know under contract? Brendan Lau they signed to a friendly deal. But, you know, they also have a lot of depth at infield. So if someone calls and wants Brendan Lau is willing to give you, you know, two or three top pitching prospects and you go, hey, we like that return. No doubt. Even even though Lau's on a friendly contract, would they do it? Sure. Blake Snell, would they do that? Absolutely. You know, even though he's locked into a friendly deal for the next few years. Sure. Uh, You know, the the race, it's all about. You know, I don't think there's untouchable. I think it's you know some are value. some What's are the value. Yes, they value some players more than others, and it would take mm-hmm. a lot more to get them. But right, right. Mike Trout is untouchable. You know, those yeah. those are the. I mean, those are the kind of guys. Yeah. But you know, I I think look, if you're looking for the Rays as far as where they need to upgrade, or they they have no catchers on the roster essentially. Yeah, so got to start there. Um, so they got to find some catching this off season. Uh, now they could return Mike Zanino. He's a free agent. Um, they didn't pick up the option at four whatever million it was. Bleh. But they could they could bring you know bring him back possibly. They really like the way he calls games. They have a and prospect they, right that's almost ready for the big league. He's a couple years away probably. I think he okay. played at uh, the highest level he played this year was single A. Single A. Oh, maybe he got a, maybe he may he would have been in double A probably this year. But obviously except for the it didn't minus, happen. Yeah. So um, yeah. he's still a couple years away, uh, really. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the catcher of the future that that they're they're banking on. So um, they could always use more pitching. I mean, you know, you're always looking for good arms and you know different types of arms for the bullpen. But you know, they could use some starters too. I mean, if, if Charlie Morton's not back, that changes what your needs are too. If he decides to come back and you work out a deal, then you know that takes up a roster spot and that. So yeah, uh, I. Look, I you know the Rays roster. You know we know the players on it now. I I would imagine many of those players are going to be gone before we get to next season. It's just the way the Rays do business. Um, which ones? It's you know, it, it's it, you can't just sit there and go, hey, we're getting rid of this player, this player, this player. Because you got to find teams that want. If you're going to make a trade, you got to you know teams got to want the player that you're giving up to. So it's easy to play fantasy. You know, I always love those guys that are like, you know, we'll trade. Uh, We'll trade uh, Mike Brasso to get uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Be great, <laughs> you know. But uh, great for the Yankees. The Yankees. Are, yeah, well, it might be actually. He <laughs> <laughs> hit thirty. Yeah. All right, some great questions. We answered them all one hundred percent correctly, as you know. Exciting weekend, the Masters, a tradition like no other. Past the Butler cabin into. Amen Corner, where the azaleas are not blooming, they're frozen. Yeah, but actually, the and course Tiger looks, Woods. The course looks pretty good. I mean, I, you were kind of wondering. I mean, you don't have the azaleas blooming, but everything else looks 
pretty well, yeah, authentic. It's, it's green. It's green as hell because it's eighty nine degrees out no, here too. in Georgia too. So you know, war- global warming. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be fun. Tiger Woods, the defending champion. This is the one major he can still win. Don't care how old he is, mm-hmm. he can still win this. Well, they're going to you're going to watch Br- uh, Bryson DeChambeau absolutely drive every par four in this course. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be ridiculous. He's going to he's going to make this course really small. Um, which is going to be fun to watch. And then we've got Matt Baker going to talk some college football. Boy, a lot of games canceled around the SEC. Yeah. Florida State's lost a place. few players. Yes, they did. A um, bunch of guys bailing up there. Yeah, that's uh, not sure if that's a good or, you know, yeah. on the surface it's not good, but it happens. You know, we'll see how Mike Norvell deals with it going forward. Yeah, get his own guys in there. So lots to talk about. And then, of course, the Bucks preparing for their game at Carolina. Tom Brady's going to talk today. Um, Todd Bowles will tell us why he played zone defense. Byron Leppich will tell us about that game plan. It's going to be a great day of interviews for those guys. <laughs> oh. Jeez. Uh, this is when they say, oh, we're on to Carolina. Yeah, well, we didn't get to talk to you about the last game, so let's back up a little bit first. So We'll have all that for you on Sports Day Tampa Bay, and check out my uh, story on the Bucks and their slow starts in TampaBay.com. Remember, if you're looking for party platters, and who isn't this time of year, uh, try Mr. Empanada. This place is phenomenal. If you haven't had an empanada, you need to. They get your best favorite food, put it in a pocket of homemade dough, and it's cooked brown, and just, mm, it's delicious. And you can also order menu items from scratch. They've got soups and salads and Cuban sandwiches. Just do that online at mrempanada.com or call any of their seven convenient locations in Tampa Bay where Latin food, quality, and service meet. It's Mr. Empanada. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 